to Sonata Secrets and this episode about Mozart's Sonata number 16 in C major K545. It has a nickname Sonata Facile because Mozart made the comment that it was for beginners in the registry of his own works. And it's a great piece to learn if you're a student. There's a lot of scales and arpeggios in this piece, so it's a great opportunity to get to practice them within a proper musical context and not just the mechanical part of it. I'm going to focus quite a lot on the sonata form structure in this episode because this piece is very good to learn about sonata form because it's like prototypical for a sonata but it's also very short so you can see quite clearly all the different parts the first subject, the second subject, the development and the recapitulation and you can see the function of those parts, how they kind of interact with each other it's just one twist with this one. In the recapitulation, the first subject, we get it in subdominant instead of the tonic, that's the traditional. So you can't have a prototype of an actual piece without a little bit of individuality as we get here. So before we go through the music, a shout out to my Patreon, John Neerman, in this episode. So we start straight on with the first subject with this simple melody in C major, establishing the tonality with the first three notes is outlining the C major triad. And we always have this perfect balance and symmetry in Mozart. The second phrase starts with the exact same rhythm as the first phrase, it's half note and two quarter notes. So we recognize it immediately as belonging together. And then we have the movement going in the left hand. It's clear chords and this pattern is called the Alberti bass when you have this. It's a very clever way to get all the chord notes and some momentum. So here we go. And now we get some scales immediately with this lovely sequence of scales in the right hand. So it's the exact same pattern of scales um, in all the bars, but the sequence is one note lower each time and uh, the harmony is just very close to C major. It's F major, C major, first inversion, D minor, dominant, C major. So here we're modulating to the dominant as the closing of the first subject. That's like the traditional route to take and it's done with one note, this F sharp that comes here. We have F major and here it's modulating with the F sharp to G major as the dominant is part of a D seventh chord. You actually have the chord notes in the right hand and then G major. Now the second subject is coming in the dominant. We get one bar of introduction, kind of setting the scene with the 16th notes in the left hand now. Mm -hmm. 
So it's basically just four bars and uh, it's one thing two times. But when you have it like this, it's very common in Mozart, one phrase two times, it means two different things. So the first time it's like a statement. And then it's like an answer and it's very common I think to, to play this as an echo softer the second time. It makes sense as a response is like an afterthought or something. And now we get the second sequence of the exposition. This is with arpeggios and this is one of the lovely places in this piece. So I'm going to take this apart a little bit. This is actually a sequence through the circle of fifth in D major. Uh, all the scale notes, uh, the harmonies on the scale notes, we go through them all, but it's slightly disguised. So the actual chords are, we start in the G major, and then a C major. This is F sharp diminished, uh, the seventh scale degree of G major. And you can see now, if I play the root note of the chords in the left hand, we get G, this is the circle of fifth progression. Uh, so if I play the right hand and the root note in the left hand, that's like the core uh, progression, but it's slightly disguised because it's first inversion uh, on uh, every other chord in the left hand. So we start not on G, but on B, the third in the bass, first inversion. First inversion again. First inversion of E minor. But this sounds kind of like G major, it's close to E minor. And then of course the left hand also has an arpeggio. And the great thing about a circle of fifth progression like this is that if you take every other chord, you can get one uh, phrase or motif uh, like we have in the right hand, and you can make a sequence of it one note below in this case. Because we have one chord in between that's making the circle of fifth progression. So. So it's actually going all the way around from G major to G major. And here starts the third part of the exposition. That's kind of a closing part. And sometimes that's a separate group, a closing group, maybe a transition or even like a third theme if it's an extended sonata form we get later in music history. But here it's very grows very organically from the second subject. So I'm just calling the closing part. Uh, we get some new, new thing in the left hand more energy. And we get this very clear cadential closing statements of um, this is a dominant 6-4 chord in G major. It's very signaling that this is a close um, and a trill. And now just some arpeggio to really, really tie it together. 
that's a firm close of the exposition. There's a repeat, and but I'm going to go on to the development now. So the development section is always kind of developing the material a little bit. And what are we going to develop? Mozart asks himself when he's composing this. I don't know, let's just take the last idea I had of these arpeggios. And let's make them in G minor. That's good. And now let's throw in the scale motif, but let's make it a short, only a half bar. And throw it between the hands. And now we reach D minor. Um, let's just do this one more time with the arpeggio. But now let's do the scales just the other way around with the hands. So the right hand starts with the scale. Now we really get going here. This is so amazing, this development. Uh, so now we start on this A minor. And guess what's going to come now? A long sequence of. Could you hear what that was? It was the circle of fifth progression, but slightly disguised. Where really the left hand and the right hand are very equal here in the parts. Because they play the same thing and trading it, taking turns with it. So we start with A minor. In first inversion, but it's an A. Then it's D minor. And then it's first inversion G. And it's we end on A minor. So it's the same circular fifth through all the keys, but now it's A minor, so we get this lovely E dominant. That's like a harmonic minor. And then we, after A minor, we continue to D, and then we get this. This is a bit of a surprise with the B flat major. It's actually the Neapolitan chord, B flat major in first inversion to A minor. But this is transformed in the next chord with, to a C seventh. which leads to F major. And here starts the recapitulation. And this is the famous twist in this sonata. The first subject is actually repeated in the recapitulation in F major, the subdominant, and not the tonic, that's the usual. So we get this. So it's a higher register. But the subdominant is kind of a lower charge than the tonic. The dominant is a higher charge and the subdominant is kind of a lower charge. So the effect is that it's just sweeter, softer and sweeter. And I'm going to read a quote from Charles Rosen in his book Sonata Forms. So for slightly more advanced music theory for you advanced secret seekers out there. Charles Rosen writes about this idea with the subdominant in Sonata Form. Sonata forms his book. The subdominant plays a special role in sonata style. It acts itself as a force for resolution, an anti-dominant in fact, and there's a tendency for the second half of a sonata to move toward the subdominant and the related flat keys. There even arose a kind of degenerate recapitulation which began not in the tonic but in the subdominant 
and which made possible a literal reprise of the exposition transposed down a fifth. The best known example of this is the little piano sonata in C major of Mozart K545, but it exists almost from the beginning of the sonata forms. So this is what we get in the sonata, an exact repetition of the first subject, but transposed a fifth down. So if you recapitulate the first subject in the tonic, normally there's like a small variation to that in the recapitulation, but here we get an exact repetition for the first eight bars. But now we're still in F major, but now we need to get to and close the exposition in G major, the dominant, uh, or that's Mozart's plan. So here we need to add something more. What's the easiest way to do this? Well, let's just continue the scale, but vary it and make the scales in the left hand. So we get to practice some scales for the left hand if we play this piece as well, of course. part of that is back to the exact repetition when we get to this. It's exactly what we had before. And now we have only the second subject left of the movement. And now in the recapitulation, the second subject is supposed to be recapitulated in the tonic. And this is exactly what we get here. So we're finishing on the dominant. That was all, was all the scales in the left hand was for. But now instead of Continuing in G major, as in the exposition, with the, where we got this with the D. Now we get it in C major instead. And now we get this lovely place of arpeggios in sequence, my favorite part of the movement. But now Mozart throws in a little bit of variation again and takes the second part one octave higher. It's an octave lift. So it gets a little bit emotional here, even with all the constraints of the formal sonata form. little bit of variation here to get to the close in C major. And that's the end of it. There is a repeat for the whole uh, second part that was traditional to have when it's like short pieces like that. Later in music history there's almost never a repeat on the second part of a sonata because it's been expanded a bit. Um, I think you can choose whether to take a repeat of the second part because it's so much we have the development and then that tension is resolved in the recapitulation. Uh, I don't think it's necessary to take all that again. It's another thing with exposition repeat of the first part. Uh, there it makes sense to have a repeat of all the material so we get to know it better. But uh, So I would say it's, it's optional. But of course, if you want to play it all again, that's fine also. 
Now, if you're a piano student, I just want to take some time and talk about practicing scales and arpeggios. Because this is a piece where it's, you get the chance to practice scales and arpeggios within a musical context. And the question is, how much should you practice scales and arpeggios on their own as exercises? And how much can you practice them within real pieces? Because the way I was taught uh, when I was, I had a teacher between I was 12 and 18 years old, Thomas Rydfeldt is a very good teacher in Gothenburg. And he was very much of the school that you shouldn't need to practice scales and arpeggios so much on the room as exercises. It's much better to play proper pieces and you get to practice them in the pieces. So like I learned all the scales uh, individually so I know how, how many sharps and flats and whatever. But then we worked a lot with uh, the classical style pieces, like uh, sonatinas and pieces by Clementi and Kulau. This is kind of from the Suzuki tradition, these kind of pieces. Uh, there's some sonatinas and sonatas by Beethoven and Mozart, like easy ones. So this one is in the, it's in a Suzuki book, I think. So the idea is that when you have scales and arpeggios in real pieces, there's always a musical meaning attached to them. And it's much better to practice it all the time with a musical meaning than to just do the exercises because there's a risk of you only doing mechanical uh, void of musical meaning. Da -da 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 -da. And that might be bad for your musical development. But I started actually playing and practicing scales as exercises in later years it's a great warm-up exercise, but I only do it for like 10-15 minutes tops. Uh, so I think there's value to do those scales uh, just to get the fingers going and uh, get some muscle exercise for the fingers, like the thumb going under. But I think it's an important point to make that if you practice properly in actual pieces where there is scales and arpeggios, and this piece is a perfect example of that, that can give you more developing in a musical sense. So thanks for watching Sonata Secrets and I see you in another episode. Thank you for listening to Sonata Secrets. Check out my premium subscription model at Patreon at patreon.com slash sonatasecrets.